Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan Williams, the lead pastor at Forefront Church, New York City. I have some good news, and that is our Midrash podcast is back. So we took a long break from the podcast because, frankly, our church was experiencing some good growth at the time. It took our attention away. Uh, We had to find new curators. But we are excited to be back, and we are looking forward to the new interviews and conversations that are going to help you, our listener, ask better questions about faith and culture and theology. I am excited to welcome longtime Forefront member and our deacon, Jim Rohner, as the new curator of our Midrash NYC podcast. I'm excited for Jim as he takes over, and I'm excited that I get to work alongside Jim as we continue to pursue a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. So here's the deal. Plug back into Midrash podcast. Subscribe and leave reviews for us at all the places where podcasts are listened to. And in the meantime, we hope that you enjoy our first podcast back after a long hiatus. We're pleased to present the co-founder of Church Clarity, George McHale. We're going to talk to George about why he started Church Clarity, the fact that so many who identify as LGBTQIA have had to navigate the murky waters of whether or not a church is inclusive and affirming, and we are going to talk about the future of the LGBTQI community in the church. So please join us as we welcome back this podcast, and we start with this wonderful interview with our friend, co-founder of Church Clarity, George McHale. So between uh, both uh, of you guys here on this conversation, uh, we have a a wealth of experience planting churches, leading churches, getting involved in churches. But before we kind of talk about that, I want to kind of start a little bit at the beginning um, for both of you. And I guess, why don't we start, uh, when I ask this, George, why don't we kind of start with you and Jonathan, you can chime in afterwards. But what were you both raised to believe about people who identify as LGBTQ and how did those beliefs inform uh, the direction that you were going to take your churches once they were planted, once you started leading them, kind of how did that inform basically the entire direction of 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 your of your mission, of your beliefs, of the direction you were going to take everything? Yeah, sure. So, I think for me, the biggest thing around what I was raised to believe is that there there weren't really a bunch of like clear sit down and have a theological conversation moments. Uh, I grew up Christian. I grew up Coptic Orthodox Christian. Um, I was born in Egypt. So one of the oldest Christian traditions, uh, pretty conservative on paper, grew up in a household where, you know, I understood church and religion and uh, for, you know, three hours on a Sunday as just something that you did out of duty and obligation. And, uh, you know, you kind of filled in the blanks around theology as you heard through the grapevine certain things. Don't have sex before you're married. You know, gay people are sinners. Uh, and it was just kind of one of those that fell in, into place, but you never really uh, dug in deeper or never really had anyone explicitly tell you, like, this is what we believe. Of course, gay people are going to hell, and here's the verses. Like, it was normal. It was always this, like, uh, very indirect, nebulous thing that people quietly uh, a- agreed to. It was this really bizarre condition of Christianity, and that was very much my experience. Very vague very um you knew it was there but you never really looked at it kind of a thing yeah i mean i i like the way you said that i think for me it was very much the same i i had parents who you know at, at this point my dad has come out as transgender so that changes everything so my dad was obviously dealing with this while i was growing up and while my parents i think um uh you know went through their own changes while i was young and, and went from conservative to fairly progressive um 
the LGBTQIA conversation was still one that, uh, that you're right, wasn't touched, right? It was kind of like, no, nah, just leave that alone, or love people. Um, and then there was a point where uh, uh, love the sin or hate the sin was popular, and, and you just mm-hmm. sort of that approach to it. Not that as to not rock the boat of evangelical Christianity to, that we were living in at that point. Um, yeah, so I don't think it was until really I, until I was in grad school uh, that I started thinking to myself, wow, this, this should change. Like this should, this should be different. This should be a conversation, uh, that we're having, right? This needs to be had. Yeah. And, and my, my experience was very similar to Jonathan's in the sense of it, that hate the sin, love the sinner was a phrase I heard multiple times. Um, and yet for a large, uh, portion of my life, the, the so-called clobber passages were not specifically cited or mentioned, but it was just kind of understood like, yes, this is a, this is a sin, but let's not, focus on telling people that let's instead embrace them. And I guess the idea was hope that through that embrace and love, they would change their ways or their identities. And I know we love to think of this idea and media loves to depict this idea of sort of a, a, a specific instance or something happening that kind of is the, the lightning bolt moment that kind of changes our minds or, or helps us to rethink. But did, did that happen to one of you or either of you, can you recall like a specific instance or a personal influence that kind of first made you start questioning, maybe not even the narrative, but just kind of starting to rethink this idea of, of hate the sin, love the sinner. And maybe this isn't a sin and maybe just love encompasses all of it. And, um, or was it just sort of, uh, over time it changed and, and, and sort of, um, what steps did you even take to explore or even possibly sort of combat or push back against this? And, and once again, I, let's start with uh, George and then we'll get to Jonathan. It's definitely something that unfolded over time. I mean, there's there's mile markers along the way. Some are more significant than others. I think the, the key thing is that it, it, was, it wasn't until it mattered um, it, it was consequential to me, you know, and I I hate to sound selfish, but that's how it happened. It was very selfishly. It wasn't until, Oh man, I really need to figure out what the hell I think about this because suddenly I'm in a position and it was, you know, when I, when I joined a a staff of of a a large church in Seattle where suddenly now I'm in a position where I have to make decisions and I have to enforce policy around what my belief is. Uh, and so certainly up until that point, there were, there were a lot of moments, a lot of research, a lot of back and forth in my own, like wrestling with it and what it means for me being inconsequential as far as I was concerned, a heterosexual, um, married, uh, man who at the time had, a, you know, acquaintances who identified as, as queer, but didn't really have any close, uh, friends that, that were so, so really it it didn't matter that much to me if I'm being perfectly honest. And until it did, until I was put in, I put myself in a position to where now um, there is a whole entire community that I'm exposed to that's being um, ostracized by my beliefs indirectly as it were at the time, but pretty soon it was becoming direct. Uh, I didn't have to confront my ambiguity and my, and my lack of conviction until, until that happened, until it was consequential. Yeah, there's something about being, uh, you know, cis and and straight that uh, that gives you a little bit of privilege. <laughs> and then yeah. On top of it, yeah, yeah. We, I don't have to worry or think about those things. Um, and so it's funny that I had this sort of nebulous idea that, like, yeah, you know, um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with people who identify as queer. Uh, and and 
that thought would come in and then it would pass, right? And so I'm in grad school and, and uh, I'm learning about scripture and uh, I'm learning that it's not the inerrant scripture that I once thought it was. And I'm like, well, if that's the case, then my guess is God probably is okay um, with people who identify as being queer. And then I just left it. And I just left it because there was nothing I had to do. Uh, I didn't have to fight for anybody. I didn't have to do that if I didn't want to. And, um, and it really wasn't until, um, man, you know, a, a few different times where I, I did have to fight for people. Um, and I did have to give something up or give a little bit of my privilege up that it became real for me. Uh, and so I say this all the time. Um, you know, it, it's not for, for, the, for privileged people like myself. It's not until we actually have to give something up. Um, that things become real or that we become real allies. And so mm -hmm. I, I think that's, that's definitely true uh, in the way that uh, we became an affirming church. Once you did start changing and, and embracing this and, and sort of um, moving in this direction and sort of away from how things started and how you were raised, what, what was the response like, not just in your personal life, but also in the churches that you were serving as well? And I'm sure that there's a lot of overlap in that as well, but what were the changes that you started noticing? What was the response like? Um, it was unsurprising as someone who grew up Christian and, you know, having, having seen the, the, the narratives of, and the, and the fear around, um, LGBTQ conversations in the church, but it was, it was not pleasant. I mean, people were upset, you know, people in both personal uh, spheres and as well as professional. Um, I mean, you can use all the words betrayal and all that kind of stuff, but you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> it's funny because a lot of times these stories get told by uh, straight cis men and they can be like, like really like sob stories. And, um, and, and, and at the end of the day, like I, it, that's, I don't think that's the, the case here. Like I don't miss any of the, <laughs> the relationships, like anyone who turned their back on me and my friends and my church and my family. It's like, that's healthy. I think that's that's what growth looks like. There isn't like this sense of like, oh man, I really like, yeah, I, I lost my entire framework of my theology and what I grew up with and everything, but I didn't really actually lose anything. You know, I, I've, I've grown, I'm a different person. All that stuff is true. Um, but the, the reactions I think just, just reveal how, uh, how true this path is of actual abundance uh, because you see the fear in people's eyes, the people who who can't can't follow you where you're going because they're still trying to like hold on to to that construct that just doesn't that just doesn't work. So, um, yeah, I don't know. What about you, Jonathan? We, we you know we lost what we thought we would lose. We lost people mm -hmm. and uh, we lost money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it it was what it was in that sense. I you know I agree with you. I, I think I think. Um, Oh, I don't know. There's a certain amount of pruning that goes on when you when you start to make stances and and uh, you know specifically when you create room for inclusion for the LGBTQIA community uh, and pruning happens and and you know I I think what I regret more than anything else is just not doing it sooner right. uh, because it allowed me to grow and it allowed our church to grow in good ways. So mm -hmm. yeah, when you say like, oh, do I have any regrets? No, I don't. I don't think I do have any regrets. Um, there are people I probably miss um, sure. that, that I don't talk to as much. But in terms of regrets, that, that yeah, yeah, we we lost something, and I think we're better for it at the end of the day. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And then, and so then, this uh, this embracing and this affirmation obviously leads us to uh, what we're here to talk about, which is church clarity. And um, George, for people who haven't heard uh, of church clarity or who just kind of have heard of it but aren't familiar with it, let's just talk about that first and foremost. What is it? Uh, and then also just kind of when did the foundation start? Uh, what was a, a conversation or something which is kind of to put the gears in motion? Like this is a project that you really wanted to start and see come to fruition. Yeah. So Church Clarity is an online resource where we crowdsource churches and our team of volunteers scores them based on how clearly they communicate their actively enforced policies. Uh, right now, our team focuses on LGBTQIA people as well as women in leadership. And so basically, uh, you go to the website, you submit a church, our team looks at it, we look at their website, we see uh, we give them a score how, based on if they're uh, undisclosed, unclear, clear, um, and then we'll give them a designation affirming, non-affirming, egalitarian, non-egalitarian. And we've scored, I think, over 2,500 churches. We've had almost 4,000 submissions. Uh, we've been around for 18 months. And um, basically, we're trying to eradicate lying in the church, uh, this, this condition of ambiguity where... Uh, that we kind of described in the first couple of questions of, of this. Uh, and it's not just around LGBTQ and women in leadership policies. I mean, pastors are notorious for basically just relying on people's assumptions of what the Christian narrative is, and then just kind of going with the flow, but not really ever standing for, not really ever leading people anywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a that's a major problem. So the, the foundations for Church Clarity were laid, like, right around... Uh, the time or after East Lake, the church I was at became fully affirming 2015 um, and leading up to that and sort of uh, observing how conversations were going down with uh, evangelical pastors who were ha- we were having conversations with and how uh, consistent the condition was where they would support and their congratulations or whatever it was privately, but then publicly there was no there was no follow up. There was no. Uh, nothing even close to to what what they would tell us uh, privately, and so so that was something I, I was paying attention to. I think another big moment was when InterVarsity, uh, which is a campus uh, ministry, uh, they they clarified their stance stance on human sexuality with an eighteen page paper, and on they came down on the non affirming side, and um, it was a big deal. People got really upset about it, uh, but I just remember seeing all that go down and be like, wow, that's actually, I mean, that's, uh, it's unfortunate where they landed. I wish, I wish they wouldn't have landed there, but in, to, to articulate your position in, eight, in 18 sheets of paper on human sexuality is something that most churches would be unable to do. Just fundamentally, you tell most of these pastors who claim LGBTQ people are going to have, can't preach. They, they wouldn't be able to give you that clear of a description. They certainly wouldn't be public about it and they, and enforce policy around it. So uh, those are the two main factors that led me to, to start going down this road of, okay, we need a, we need a tool. We need a practical resource. It's 2019. The internet is a thing. Data is important. The church is mysterious. So let's, let's start this initiative called church clarity. So, mm-hmm. uh, Friends, John, uh, excuse me, Tim Schrader and uh, Sarah New, who Jonathan knows mm-hmm. very well, goes to goes to the forefront as a leader there, and uh, and yeah, we were off 
uh, as of October 2017. Georgia, it sounds like one of the things you're saying is that almost uh, that churches, by not coming out and being clear about where they stand, whether affirming or not affirming, is in itself sort of um sort of a form of, of deception or, or or lying, I guess. And so I, I'm wondering, in your estimation, what what do churches gain, or or why do, uh, do some churches kind of why is there this ambiguity? Why is this lack of clarity? Why do they not come out and either say, yes, we are, or no, we're not? I think there's several reasons. Uh, one of them, ignorance being another. Uh, people just don't don't think about it. They, I think there's there's an assumption in a lot of quarters that, well, we're a Christian Bible-believing church. So of course, we don't affirm gay people, and everyone should assume that. We don't need to be upfront about it. They don't realize that you know we live in a different time now where... Actually, that's that's a horrible assumption to make. Um, another major reason is money and the the fear of losing what you've built and having to let go of staff and maybe even having to cut your own salary or, or close close your church down even in, in the most extreme scenarios. Mm. So uh, ambiguity is a condition that I think allows the status quo. Uh, to prevail, both you know at the local level as well as at the at the macro level with the, the at the church, the church at large. So, um, so I think those are the those are the main reasons. And and many churches will will say even if they are not an affirming church, they will they will use language that says something to the effect of like that they accept people who identify as LGBTQ or that they are welcome, but they stop short of saying explicitly that they are affirmed. And for people who might be unclear or people who are kind of searching for a church while going through their own journey, what what does affirmation specifically mean? And, and why is that language so important in, in your opinion? I think part of what's happened with words like aff- affirmation and open and affirming and, in, you know, being more inclusive and all that is it's gotten co-opted to mean literally like whatever you want it to mean. Mm-hmm. And so what we, what we try to do is focus on policy because policies don't have feelings. Policies are just, you know, yes or no. Uh, and so really ask the question of, well, we don't ask the question of, are you affirming when we go to, to verify, which let me just back up real quick. Uh, Cause I talked about all of our scores, except the one that, is verified clear, which is our, our highest and best score. And what it means and why it's distinct from the rest of them is it means that church has actually communicated their policies with our team. So our team sends out these verified clear surveys. We ask basic yes or no questions about actively enforced policies, replies, and regardless of how they answer the question, mm-hmm. uh, the questions on the survey, they will receive a verified clear score and we will drop the qualifiers that we use in non-verified clear scores those qualifiers being affirming not affirming egalitarian not egalitarian Mm -hmm. so because again the idea that we're after is just clarity so as long as you're willing to be clear then we're just going to say that you're verified clear and not need to and we just post the answers to the questions so that people have their their clarity and we don't have to we don't have to dance around what do you really mean by affirming and are you really accepting and what percentage of welcome when you say all are welcome, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. getting into these types of debates is, is fruitless. At the end of the day, we don't really care what your pastor, how much your pastor says he loves gay people or how welcoming your environment is. And, um, 
that all that stuff is irrelevant. What matters is when the rubber meets the road at the end of the day, how do you enforce policies? Will you will you do that queer wedding? Will you hire a, you know a, a lesbian woman? Uh, will you allow a trans preacher at your Sunday service? Uh, those are the types of things we're actually after. Mm-hmm. So, so a church can be verified as clear, but but uh, the clarity is like, yes, this is not an affirming church. It's just it's not ambiguous. It is very straightforward. Like, yep, this, they're clear. Absolutely, and that's and that's actually one of the key things I think that a lot of people miss. And but it's also you know before we ever launched, to me this was the this is what makes church clarity what it is. Mm-hmm. It's it's we're we're separating the the conversation from just being like so. Um, you know, you're homophobic or you're not homophobic or, you know, whatever, whatever language that we want to use to, uh, just blanket categorize people. There's actually category and it's, it's probably the majority and it's this category of people who are dancing around what their convictions are. So actually on the other end of the theological spectrum, the people who, who say the Bible is clear, marriage is between one man and one woman, um, they should have no problem with clarity and a lot of them don't. And so we need those people actually, to push their peers who are, you know, the Hillsongs and the uh, church homes of the world mm-hmm. who are basically just the church like business side of things to just, you know, try to make it bigger and bigger and try to make more money and flashier lights and nicer sneakers and all that. Um, we need we need the people who actually have conviction, regardless of how much I disagree with their conviction, we need them to to push their their peers on that side of the theological spectrum, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's incredibly interesting how many people who have said to me, um, you know, I thought this, uh, you know, insert unclear church name, uh, that church was affirming, and I'm like, what what gave you that idea? And they were like, well, they were so friendly and, and kind, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, did, did you ever ask if they would perform your wedding, or have you asked if if that you could be hired on staff? Well, no, I just assumed, and it's really really interesting. Um, it seems like those churches are getting a pass, and the churches that are going, nope, we, we, we are anti-LGBTQ affirming, those churches are like, well, how dare you? And what I can yes. no, thank, thanks for them. You know, they're, they're at least being clear about where they stand. You know you're not going to go to that church now. Uh, <laughs> it works a lot better. So uh, I think what, what, um, what, is, what I find humorous, I guess, about Church Clarity are all these people that, uh, that, that you know, are like, oh, you're, you're gay-loving. Or, uh, or you're going down a slippery slope, and you're like, no, if, if you're against this, just tell us, and we'll be really happy about it. We are looking for clarity only. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so much of it, too, assumes... Uh, this is the other problem with words like inclusion, is that people in positions of power, people like Jonathan and myself, who have run churches, and have taken, I think, the position in, in former... And our former selves, I'll speak for myself, sorry, Jonathan, <laughs> where it was like, oh, look at us, we're affirming, you should come to our thing now, because aren't we great, we are affirming you, come on in, um, and and there's this hubris that like people actually even want anything to do with your thing to begin with, um, and that, secondly, that we have this power, people, as if like it's the ch- church that's like the, the gatekeeper in general of people's uh, worthiness or their, or their divinity, and I think on the other side, on the, on the uh, more progressive side of the unclear camp, there is this there is this gatekeeping of sorts that is like, well, we kind of still want to keep the conservative donors, so we're going to dance around our, you know, we're affirming, we're totally affirming. Look at all these gay people here, and like, and and 
they're trying to protect their their thing because it's like oh there's not a lot of churches like ours so we we have to make sure that we keep going and so we're going to do this very strategically we're going to be quietly affirming Mm. um and they also have a problem with us so it's it's super interesting how um since church clarity has come onto the scene a lot of this i expected some of it i'm really surprised by just the different cohorts of position and support that we see from from all across the spectrum it's so strange that you're almost kind of describing like uh, uh churches that are sort of closeted affirming which is it's, it seems so contradictory to me, but I guess you know, as you kind of talk about, there are there are those those church bodies and the pastors that do sort of think or believe they have something to lose to come out uh, against, which is, is is tragic. You know, yeah, I, and I think it goes back to. Well, so sorry, John. I have one more really. Goes please. back to this 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 point we were talking about about like growing up Christian. You never really think about it. You're just kind of told about this thing that you're vaguely supposed to believe. I think that's the story of a lot of pastors, like like a lot of like big time pastors, I think they actually don't really care that much, to be honest with you. I think probably like quote unquote in their hearts, they're affirming, but they, there's no way on paper they could be, it would just cost them too much, their families, their churches. So it's one of those things where they're rocking the hard, hard place where I'm, and I'm, I don't pity them at all, just to be clear, but where they, they have like these internal emotions of, I'm pretty sure I'm affirming, but there's no way I could say that out loud. And it's really because no, no one ever led them, no one ever formed them to care about what the implications of their beliefs were. Yeah, and I think, I think not only that, I mean, it, it's about not having to be informed in some ways. It's about mm-hmm. the privilege as a church leader to not have to be informed. And so, you know, I regret the times in, in my leadership um, that we were that quietly affirming church. Uh, and we were quietly affirming because I didn't want to get kicked out of the organization that wasn't affirming that planted us. And I, I like the camaraderie I have with that organization. And uh, and so if we could be quietly affirming that I could still have it all. I could still have everything that I want. And I think I think in that what I missed um, and what gets me so, uh, I guess, uh, what I regret and what gets me so angry um, now is people's lives are at stake. While I'm sitting there going, well, we'll be quietly affirming so I can continue to have my friends in this church planning organization. Uh, you know, people are coming to our church wanting to know if God loves them the way they are. And I'm going, shh, on the down low, yes. <laughs> I'm not going to speak about it up front. And that's just incredibly self-serving and selfish. And so I think I think, um, I think, think if, if I'm out to, you know, I guess change, uh, change my past or change the error of my ways or whatever it might be, um, that's the thing I'm encouraging pastors to do. Be clear about it. Be upfront about it right away. Um, everything else is self-serving, and people's lives are literally at stake. Some people might call that repentance, by the way. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard that's a word. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm, that's a big part of this. Is like I, I have regrets. I wish I would have done it sooner. I wish, I wish an organization like Church Clarity existed to articulate the condition way that I think actually leaves room for grace. Like, look, we're not jumping down your throat saying you need to uh, be affirming. And we're also not saying you need to decide right now or you need to know right now. We have, a, we have another score that I haven't talked about, actively discerning. Like another way to be clear is to say, look, I, I still need to read like eight books, got a bunch of community meetings to have right now. This church is actively discerning this very important conversation. We will get back to you in nine months with a clearly communicated uh, that's an option. So just be clear about it. 
I think it offers people a pathway that, you know, Jonathan and I didn't have four or five years ago. So on that note, what do you do with people who tell you, George, that you are stifling a conversation by asking for clarity? People who are saying, well, it's more nuanced than that. Um, you know, there are gay people who come to my church and I'd rather have a conversation with them than not. Uh, and you're ruining my opportunity to do that. What do you say to them? Well, I, I think there's two different things there. So if I'm stifling, if your accusation is I'm stifling your opportunity to say, hey, yeah, we don't, we handle those conversations one-on-one. -on -one. Let me take you to coffee. I don't feel bad at all. Like, whatever. You are bait and switching people and you're making queer people do the, your emotional labor for you. So um, that's actually a big part of the reason church clarity exists. Now, the other part, the other accusation of we're stifling an important community conversation that you had the opportunity to have and you're rushing us and all this stuff i guess my whole thing is how is initiating a conversation the same as stifling it and how is um you know offering resources and support and solidarity and even at some level for lack of a better phrase like offering to give you cover as you actively discern this right again a path that didn't exist we, we, in many ways, it was ignorance that, that we stumbled through our process uh, in ambiguity. We just didn't really know. We thought we were being gracious. We thought we were being generous and progressive. Look at us. We're more affirming than that church next door. We didn't realize that people on our own staff who were sitting in the conversations that we were processing and reading the books and becoming more affirming, we didn't realize that they were still confused about our policies, right? And so the idea that in 2019... <laughs> we are stifling conversations to me is actually just like a little bit rude because <laughs> it's, it's like not true like i'm trying to have a conversation not stifle one that makes sense so then let's uh let's talk about the the response um uh to church clarity and, and i guess let's kind of start with um it is user generated which is is or or crowdsourcing crowdfunding which is awesome I, I mean because it's like the the people who are the most curious and who are going through this journey and, and are the most invested are the ones who are submitting and putting into the work which i think is so amazing so what let's start with the response of sort of the users the people that are submitting what george what sort of response have you heard from people who not just are, are doing the or doing the work uh with and for church clarity but also the people who have come to church clarity looking for that church or sort of looking for those answers what sort of stuff have you heard from those from some from people like that yeah it's it's been it's been pretty overwhelming to be honest with you the the response to church clarity is unlike anything i've seen before P people are uh, uh very it, it's almost like there's a there's a shock value to how simple yet powerful it is uh when they stumble upon it so it's almost like we get this. We get these messages that are just like, "Thank you so much for the incredible work that you're doing. You're doing the Lord's work like nonstop every day," and um, and and encouraging, and, and and we love that. Um, we have you know over 90 volunteers from all over the world in our Slack channel, uh, scoring churches. People are very grateful. People are finding new communities as a result of going on Church Clarity and finding a verified clear church in their neighborhood. People are seeing this as a really pragmatic way to do something as they look out in the world and see it crumbling. Uh, uh, their church leaders, and, and really in many instances, 
see again just this empty rhetoric this like what are we even talking about let alone doing to to make the world more just and this is a very very small baby step on that path that people are finding hope in and um and so that's been really inspiring and it's been the watching the momentum build has uh, it's you know it's come with a a a bit of stress (laughs) and uh a burden of of responsibility that you know both Sarah and I as the co-leaders of it take very seriously to to really try to figure out how do we steward this resource that obviously the public has has found very very valuable mm-hmm. and how do we how do we stay out of the way how do, how do we keep our own personal like uh, personalities and opinions and stuff uh, out of the way of, of influencing its uh, whatever church clarity is supposed to do so yeah it's been exciting on the other hand I mean I know that you're you're not going to be as emotionally involved in this, but then on the other hand, in, in the sense of uh, responses from churches that are still unclear, or you, you touched upon this a little bit, but I mean, you, if you go on Church Clarity, you see that even here in New York, big popular churches, uh, you know, really exciting, you know, quote unquote, exciting churches like Hillsong and C3 and, and, out, and out west uh, like Saddleback, these churches are all still listed as sort of ambiguous in regards to being verified. So have you heard a response from churches like that, that sort of, do they see you as an enemy? Do they kind of not care? Or, or what, what has it sort of been like on that other end? We've heard things through the grapevine, right? So a lot of it's hearsay. Um, mm-hmm. I can't get most pastors to respond to me. Uh, okay. for, like, so like I, I've, I've reached out to some of the big name pastors, both privately and publicly. I, I usually try to reach out privately first because, you know, that's very biblical. And, uh, they're pastors, so I figure they appreciate that. <laughs> and and uh, but but the responses I, I usually get ignored. People are very threatened by clarity. Uh, I've been I've been engaging recently with Andy Stanley. He's been he's been actually one of the few pastors who's actually responded to me directly, which I appreciate. But mm-hmm. um, we have some we've had two conversations, uh, one over text and one over voice, where you know he's kind of gone back and forth about. That makes a lot of sense to, you know, being a little bit more defensive because his church is, I believe, either unclear or undisclosed. And um, and we actually did a, a story on uh, uh, a story of ambiguity in his congregation. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to gauge what they're, how they're posturing or how they're thinking about church clarity. And, you know, I don't think about it that much because I'm really more, more interested in, in the churches like Forefront who are and want to be uh, become verified clear and, and, and create this cohort of you know verified clear churches who um, stand as, as, as witnesses basically against ambiguity but um, you know I, I hope that they clarify I hope Hillsong does become clear mm-hmm. I, I don't think that they will um, I'm not like holding my breath but um, you never know <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what else to say about it I don't I don't want to like Thick about what you know, that the the fate of of the Saddlebacks and the C threes and the Hill songs, but you know those churches aren't going to be around very much longer. They're they're the Bill Hybels model didn't work, um, and I think we're we're all realizing that now, and, and we all have different responses to it. But the response of doubling down is just seems um, not wise. So mm-hmm. we'll see how it plays out. Thinking, uh, thinking about the the people who might be coming to to church clarity, you know, looking for that kind of church. What sort of wisdom uh, could you impart uh, to the people who who have genuine uh, conflict within them? You know, they maybe they go to a church which is 
um, unclear or 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 just actually not affirming. But they, but you hear these kind of stories where it's like, but they're you know, but they're so welcoming, and my friends go here, and I have family here, and I, I genuinely believe in Sunday morning that I feel the love of God and I feel the Holy Spirit. But they're also still not being affirmed, and so there is sort of maybe a, a tension or a conflict within them. What? What sort of wisdom can you impart to people who are at that stage in their journey? Um, if what you're saying is there, so people who are themselves affirming or themselves queer and they're going to a church that's unclear, what, what's the advice to them? Yeah. So I think definitely make sure when you, if and when you decide questions of leadership, that you're asking policy questions because the big difference between policy questions and belief questions are belief questions are very, very easy to dance around. Mm -hmm. So questions like, well, do you love gay people? Do you affirm gay people? Um, might get you an answer that, you know, helps you feel better about going there. But questions like, hey, if I were to uh, ask you to perform a non-heterosexual uh, wedding, would you do it? <laughs> yes or no? Mm -hmm. That'll that'll really cut to the chase. Um, mm -hmm. Also, look at, look at representation. You know, if if people that um, that are not in the queer community are are not in positions of leadership, then you probably have your answer pretty easily. And you know, practically, obviously, church clarity exists as as a tool to help navigate this specifically. So submit them to to let's get them scored and and um, see how they respond. Just Pay attention to that. That's the biggest thing, is, is paying attention to how they respond to the questions. Again, we are trying to eradicate lying. So I don't care what, um, where you ultimately fall. If the question itself makes you squirm, then that should raise suspicions. Mm -hmm. To to I guess to to sort of wrap it up on a uh, on a positive note, which is not to say that what just has come before has been negative, anything like that. But um, sure. I want to I, I want to talk about things to look forward to and hope and and that sort of stuff. I mean, the, the three of us having this conversation are all cis heterosexual males. We have probably never in our lives had to walk into a situation or uh, a church or anything and feel like we are the minority or feel like we are, are not, um, or, or that we are underprivileged. So to, to people who might be listening to this, who are not in that situation, who are LGBTQ, who are having trouble in their journey or, or who are kind of looking for that clarity in their journey, what sort of hope, I, I guess, can you offer? Do do we see the tide changing when it comes to, uh, more churches that are being affirming, uh, that are open to having those conversations? What sort of things can we offer for that? I feel like I'm an optimist on this one. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, those, those big churches, uh, that sort of idea of doing church, that's that's on its way out. It, it, I think people uh, really do care about policy. I think they care about um, being fully and wholly affirmed when it comes to policy. So I'm optimistic that more, more churches are going to, uh, you know, they'll be clear. I'm optimistic that in the truest sense, it's going to be anti-racist. I, I think we're going in a direction um, that will look more like God's kingdom um, in that way. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree. I think there's a lot to be hopeful for, and I appreciate the kind words about church clarity, Jonathan. I think that it's a very simple solution, or beginnings of a solution at the very least, to a significant problem. And I think that's part of what catches people by surprise a little bit, is it's it's so easy and so simple and so like, where has this been all my life? Some of the responses that we see. And that, to me, 
offers a great deal of hope and I think a great deal of freedom even. And, and that's a, a really biblical idea of, of truth setting us free. And I think we're experiencing that firsthand. There's a, there's a very pragmatic work that we're doing that's changing the nature of conversations from this entanglement and this imprisonment of arguing and, and fighting and being obsessed with needing to change people's minds to just insisting on clarity. And just when she received that clarity, being able to just be like, all right, cool. Thank you very much for clarifying. Just like, you know, Jonathan said that earlier. And, you know, have a nice life or, or whatever it is. We don't have to keep relitigating these conversations that we don't even want to be having to begin with. It's it, There's great freedom in just being able to acknowledge where you land for better or worse and letting the chips fall where they may. So that gives me great hope. And George, for anyone listening to this, whether they are a, a, a church goer or, uh, or, or in the leadership position of a church, how can they get involved as individuals or how can uh, churches also just get involved in, in contributing to, to church clarity? So yeah, we'd love your support. Uh, churchclarity.org. You can submit a church to our crowdsource database. Our team will score it as quickly as we can. We're currently working through a huge backlog. So appreciate your patience as we uh, work through that. If your church, if you're a church leader or uh, uh, someone in a congregation who wants to get their help their church get verified clear, definitely reach out to us, info at churchclarity.org, and we'll help get you listed as verified clear. Um, yeah, so really appreciate your support, and thanks again for having me on.